And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Sunday, December 6th, and today we're airing the second part of our interview with Annie Duke. She's the author of the new book, How to Decide, Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. Today, we're going to dive deep into how we can get you to imagine really bad things in advance of them happening and then dealing with it. We're also going to talk about the pre-mortem process. She'll explain that. And of course, our favorite topic of the late fall, the Queen's Gambit. Here's the conclusion of our interview with Annie Duke. You know, we talk a lot on this show about investing, about making financial decisions. And in my previous career, when I was a financial planner and investment advisor, you know, I'm always trying to get people to imagine really horrible things. And I want to say to them, well, well, you know, of course, this is unlikely, but, and I guess this is a little bit of trying to explain to people that bad things can happen. We can protect against those bad things and have them try to imagine what it would feel like if, God forbid, you died when you were 35 years old and you left your family destitute. Now, is there some part of the pre-mortem process that you created in the book that you talk about where you can get people to imagine these potential outcomes before they're really bad? Like, what is it that is important to give people in terms of the, the ways to imagine bad stuff? Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say I didn't invent pre-mortems. I do build on the concept that that comes from Gary Klein. So basically, you know, people talk about the power of positive thinking all the time. And, and, and it's obviously incredibly popular. You know, this idea that you set a positive destination for yourself and then you imagine success along the way. When I think about the power of positive thinking, I think that if you really want to have success, that the power of positive thinking is actually not the best way to go. And the reason is that if you just imagine success all along the way, you're going to be really unprepared for the obstacles that are inevitably going to be in your path. So what I think is like, look, imagine a positive destination, right? Like I want to plan for my family to be financially secure, right? So that would be that would be an example of a positive goal. But then it's actually quite helpful to engage in something that's called broadly mental contrasting. And this is a lot of work from Gabrielle Odigen, who's at NYU, 
who shows that when you actually imagine the ways that you might fail, the, the ways that things might go wrong, that you actually are increasing by a lot your chances of success. So as an example, she looked at people who had to lose over 50 pounds in a weight loss program. That was what they wanted to do. And she had one group uh, do positive thinking, which is imagining like, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to get there every day and I'm going to eat healthy and I'm going to pack my lunch and you know, all my friends are going to notice and my dating life is going to improve. But then she had another group where she specifically told them to think about the ways that things might go wrong. So they're thinking about like, you know, what if uh, I get really busy and I don't make it to the gym? Gosh, you know, people are always bringing treats into the break room at work and it's just so hard to resist. And I'm really afraid I'm not going to be able to resist them and that's going to make it so that I don't lose weight or none of my friends are going to notice and my dating life isn't going to improve. So they're imagining like all the things that might go wrong in this process. Now, the power of positive thinking would tell you that the first group is going to end up being much more successful than the second, but it's actually the reverse. The second group loses on average 26 more pounds than the first group does. Wow. So, and the, the reason is that they're prepared for the things that might go wrong. And by being prepared, being prepared for the things that might go wrong, it allows you to do things about that before those things go wrong. So the way I like to think about it is there's a reason why an app like Waze is so popular. Because Waze is the power of negative thinking. It's saying, here's where you want to get to. That's the positive goal. But by the way, there's really heavy traffic on this route. Or there's a speed trap over here. Or someone got in an accident over here. And then what does it do? It redirects you around those obstacles so that you can still get to your destination safely. And that's what you're talking about. So you can take this general idea of negative, you know, the power of negative thinking or mental contrasting, and then turn that into a pre-mortem, which involves imagining that you've already failed and why that happened. So it's kind of moving yourself forward in time. And that actually generates a lot more of these obstacles that you might want to deal with because you get less hooked on the obstacles that might be in your immediate path. And then you can do all sorts of things. Like, just think about this. In finance, that's what hedging is. And in personal finance, I think it's, you know, it's like you want to plan for this worst case outcome. Okay. I, you know, I, I need to consider getting my estate in, in order. You know, we just interviewed a, a woman whose father had been diagnosed with cancer and for quite some time was ill and only 10 days before his death did they finally get him to sign all the documents. Oh my you don't God. even have to imagine that something bad is happening. Something bad's happening. And I've heard this over and over. And so what I always try to say to people is, you know, I do the, you know, imagine that you're leaving your heirs with just a hot mess of problems. And imagine that instead of grieving you, they're cursing you because you're the most selfish relative in the world who didn't take the time to create this plan. And so I'd use a little of the Jewish guilt. It seems to work some, but it's yeah. said, you're saying that you, you think positive and you plan negative. Right. So, so that's actually a really good example of thinking positive and planning negative, right? Like the positive goal is I would like to leave my errors in good shape. And then you're saying, imagine that you failed to do that. Imagine that you left them a hot mess and they're now cursing you after your dad, why do you think that happened? And now obviously they're going to get to the right answer of, well, I guess because I didn't do my estate planning and I drug my feet and I kept committing to do it and I didn't and I didn't have these contingencies in place and so on and so forth. So you still have the positive goal. The whole point is that you want to provide for your family. But what you're asking them to do is imagine that you failed 
I always think about like, why is it that people are so reluctant to do this? And I think about the book, The Secret. Do you remember that book? Oh my God. Yes. So silly, but yes. Yeah. So here's here's the thing about The Secret. And this is why I think that this kind of pre-mortem, why you could have someone who hasn't, you know, they only get them to sign it 10 days in advance, you know, of, of the actual death. I think that there's this real sense of magical thinking that your thoughts actually do create stuff. And that if you imagine success, success will be created out of that, that it's really causal. And if you imagine failure of any sort, that that will create failure. Now, when you look at the normal power of positive thinking, they're only talking about the first part. They're saying if you imagine success, it will increase your chances of success. But it's obviously implied in there that if you imagine failure, it will create failure, even though the science tells you that if you imagine failure, it will create success. But that's implied in there. And I think it's playing into this magical thinking that we all kind of engage in. And that's where the secret comes into play, because they the secret makes it all explicit. You know, imagine that your partner gives you a diamond ring and you'll get a diamond ring. Imagine that you're in traffic the next day and you're going to be in traffic the next morning. Now, I always wonder there, like when you get in that traffic, did you imagine traffic for everybody else or is everybody who's in the traffic thinking bad traffic thoughts? I could never quite figure that one out. But, and then they, they posit this causal thing, which has to do with like the magnetism of your brainwaves. I mean, the whole thing is totally kooky and ridiculous, but the reason why it's so popular is that it does play into that magical thinking that we have, you know, imagine it and it will come. I imagine that that's why people sort of drag their feet so much on that. Because they're worried that, well, if I actually do this thing, it will happen as if if I get fire insurance for my house, maybe I'm going to create a fire. I also just really specifically want to distinguish this from positive visualization. I think in the sports sense, it's really good to sort of imagine that great free throw just in order to get that sort of like muscle memory going, like of, you know, sort of imagining the great free throw. But we know that that's different than what we're talking about because Larry Bird also spent hours and hours and hours practicing the three free throws because he understood that that was the way that he would fail. So I don't want to just, I don't want to conflate positive visualization, like in a sports sense, imagining you doing something well, which I think is actually quite helpful with the kind of planning, the root planning part. All right. Random question. Have you watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix? I just finished it last night. I love this so much. So tell me how you, when you watch that, when you were watching, you know, this young woman journey through the chess world, how the application of how to decide, because I was thinking about it last night when I was watching an episode, it was like front and center for me. So the the two things collided. You know how she'll imagine playing out the games and she'll she'll play out a particular line and in, in her imagination and then she'll go back and then she'll play out another line and she'll go back and she'll play out another line of play and she'll go back. So she's so this is actually exactly what we're talking about in terms of those branches of the tree, which is what I was doing in poker. What do I think is going to happen if I raise here? What is what do I think is going to happen if I call? What is what do I think is going to happen if? That that's what she's doing. She's exploring all the different branches of the tree. You know, this is the power of negative thinking, right? She's planning that root by seeing which of those roots are going to fail and which ones have the highest probability of success. So she's looking, she's going through and she's saying, okay, if I move this way, what are the chances that I fail this way? If I move this way, what are the chances I fail this way? If I move this way, what are the chances that I fail this way? Or what are the chances that I succeed this way? So she's trying to to determine 
which moves are going to create upside and are going to have a positive expected value, in other words, comprise the upside, and which moves are going to have a negative expected value and then create the downside. And then she's thinking about not just that, but if I take this move, now this goes into mental contrasting, and I lose the game, how might that happen? Because she's thinking about the way that the other person is going to counterattack against it. And so those are the places where you're going to fail, right? So she's imagining what those counterattacks might be and then figuring out what her response would be. If she doesn't go deep into the game in that way and imagine what the counterattacks are going to be, she's constantly going to be surprised by what her opponent does. And this actually is the difference between a great chess player and a good one, is that a good one or a mediocre one is surprised by their opponent's moves all the time. But you notice how quickly she moves in that game. Yes. And it's because she's already she already knows that that's a possibility and she's already planned for what her response is going to be if they do that. I thought it was really well done. And I thought what was also interesting for me, some, somebody who, who does a little bit of, you know, sort of mental gymnastics, the speed was definitely a factor. It also kind of reminded me of bridge. I don't know if you're familiar with any of like the professional bridge players out there, but they essentially kind of from the bidding rounds mm-hmm. can tell you what they believe. You know, and again, this is not every single one. This is really good ones. They can tell you how the play of cards is going to go. Yep. And I was always fascinated by that. Like you think so far ahead and they know exactly where the cards are in everyone's hand. They just know it. It's funny how like chess, bridge, poker, options trading, which is how I grew up, it just sort of all plays with similar formulations. So I am so grateful you wrote this book. I'm so glad that I met you a couple of years ago. Annie Duke. The book is called How to Decide Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. You should also buy her previous book called Thinking in Bets. Let us remind you that our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We're distributed by Cadence 13. And as always, we are only here because of you. So thank you for listening. Please wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and of course, try to put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. It will do you good. Talk to you tomorrow.